In a world where a man loves movies and loves lists and keeps a list of his 100 favorite movies for over 30 years, what if he made his wife watch those movies in order? And what if he made her talk about it on a podcast? Would she like them? Would she hate them? Can this marriage possibly survive this podcast? Find out what will happen in a world called Craig's List. Hey, Carla. Hi. Hey, Carla. Hi. Carla! Hey, Carla! (laughs) Carla! (laughs) Hey, Carla! Yikes. (laughs) The neighbors are very upset right now. The neighbors aren't anywhere close to being here. (laughs) We have no neighbors. Uh, our next door neighbors are not home. They're at work. Right. We know that. Uh, nobody can. The doors are closed. Benny isn't even bothered by that. <laughs> but, you know, there's such distance between us. I'm in Los Angeles and uh, you're in Portland. But there's such animal sexual magnetism between the two of us. <laughs> Gross. <laughs> that I was just exploding with with passion uh, and I just needed to let you know how happy I am to hear your voice That's so and how much I how much I need you <laughs> can't be right <laughs> hi guys it's uh Craigslist episode 55. And uh, today we're going to talk about the 1951 Ilya Kazan film starring Vivian Lee and Marlon Brando, A Streetcar Named Desire. Mm-hmm. And this is, of course, based on the great American play by Tennessee Williams, uh, one of the hallmarks of uh, American dramatic history. Uh, and it was filmed four years after it debuted on Broadway by uh, Mr. Kazan and uh, and those actors. It was nominated for 12 Academy Awards and won four of them, including three for acting. Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, and Best Supporting Actress. Marlon Brando did not win uh, for his performance as Stanley Kowalski in this movie. He lost to Humphrey Bogart for The African Queen. And uh, in 2007, the dummies at the American Film Institute said that this was the number 47 movie of all time when clearly it's the number 46 movie of all time. <laughs> so they, they got that so wrong. Oh, because it's number 46 on yours? Uh, duh, Carla. Badoy. Badoy? <laughs> <laughs> it's the number 46 movie. <laughs> Well, we'll see if it holds up as the number 46 movie. But for right now, on Craigslist, this is number 46, episode 55, A Streetcar Named Desire. Carla, did you watch this movie? I did. All, the whole thing? Most of it. I've seen it before. <laughs> How much? I've seen it more than once. How many times do you think you've seen it? Maybe this was the third time. 
Okay. Maybe the fourth. Uh, when do you uh, first remember watching it? I think the first time I, you know, I don't totally remember. I think it was my mom. I think I've said, I know I've said this on the podcast before, but my mom watched a lot of black and white films when I was growing up. And so I'm sure somewhere along the way, that's how I watched it the first time. Somewhere along the, the way of my youth. <laughs> the way of your youth, your wayward youth. My wayward youth. And then I watched it again uh, for sure in college. Okay. Um, and do you, yeah. do you think you had not seen it since? I don't think so. Maybe, maybe I've caught it on TV in between college and now. Okay. But I'm familiar with it. I've also read the play. You're and familiar with it. Play, and I've done scenes from the play as every actor in acting school ever had to do. Yeah. You know I, I mean – you played Stella. <laughs> Why do you think you're a Stella and not a Blanche? Hmm. I'm probably not kooky enough for Blanche. Right? Not kooky enough? Yeah. <laughs> you're pretty kooky. I don't know. You can be you can be kooky under the right circumstances. Yeah. I'm more of a Stella. Uh, I'll go along with that. Uh, Thank you. You also have a stepmother named Stella. I do. You're right. And uh, Stella was my grandmother's name as well. It's a good name. It's a good name. It should be making a comeback. Any minute now. Once this podcast is released, pregnant women everywhere (laughs) will give birth to Stella's. We've got a pretty healthy demographic of pregnant ladies love this podcast. <laughs> uh, and they're always looking for good names for their, their future babies. Uh, so yeah, let's throw Stella out there as a possibility. Uh, Marlon also should be making a comeback. If it's a boy, Marlon. Marlon. If it's a girl, Stella. Yeah, I was a theater major. You know that, right? Uh-huh. I have a, a beat. I have a BA in theater, a Bachelor of Arts Great. from the College of William and Mary. Thank you. Uh, and Tennessee Williams was a pretty big in acting class. I don't think I ever did a scene from Streetcar. I know I did a scene from Glass Menagerie. Um, mm. But, yeah, yeah I, I think this is the kind uh, – I mean, you said you remember it pretty well despite have not, not having seen it in years – I think this is the the kind of movie that people know even if they've never seen it. Right. Because it's been so paradized and adapted and readapted. And I think people just have – they've heard of Blanche Dubois and Stanley Kowalski. They know Stella. They know I have always depended on the kindness of strangers. Maybe people know it mostly from the Simpsons episode, A Streetcar Named Marge, uh, where – uh, Marge Simpson stars as Blanche DuBois in a community theater production, a musical adaptation. So what you're saying is it's iconic. I, I'm using more words <laughs> to say that it's iconic, but yeah, it's uh, it's iconic. I mean, it, it's considered to be probably along with Death of a Salesman and Long Day's Long Day's Journey and Tonight, maybe like the American play. Mm-hmm. And certainly, like, we read a lot of Tennessee Williams uh, in college as well. And, you know, this 
play and this movie were just a revelation. Uh, it, it opened on Broadway in 1947. Uh, three of the four lead actors from the movie, Carl Malden as Mitch and uh, Kim Hunter as Stella, as well as Marlon Brando, reprised their roles from the original Broadway production. Kazan directed the Broadway production. Uh, and then Jessica Tandy originated the, the uh, role of Blanche Dubois on Broadway. Oh, and then... Uh, I remember reading that. But... Vi- <laughs> But Vivian Lee had done the London production of Streetcar. So they were all experienced in playing these roles already when they did the, the movie. When the play opened on Broadway, Brando was 23. Wow. And I think, uh, Tennessee Williams wrote the role of Stanley Kowalski, uh, imagining an older man. And so it, it was kind of, uh, rethought uh in casting Brando in the role and he was I believe it was his Broadway debut this was only his second film he did a film called The Men uh the year before this but uh he was pretty much an unknown uh when this movie debuted and it, it's considered to be kind of the the beginning of uh seeing method acting uh influence Hollywood it was a whole new style of acting uh, that kind of revolutionized, uh, film acting as well. It had already been revolutionizing the, uh, the Broadway stage. Yeah. I uh, say, all right, here we go. Ready? All right, I'm here we go. Into film criticism. <laughs> it does, <laughs> watching it, and I felt this, I've always felt this way. It feels like Vivian Lee and Marlon Brando are in two different movies. <laughs> like this, the acting style is very different, I think. I think that's to the benefit of the movie, but tell me how you think that's a problem. Well, it's tricky because it is so iconic and it's difficult to picture anybody else playing Blanche after seeing Vivian Lee do it, but, and because she is such a dramatic, melodramatic character, it does kind of work. Yes. Um, but yeah, she's very annoying. Like it's kind of uncomfortable to watch, but not, not just because you feel, bad for him or her the situation just because she seems so over just mm, just melodramatic like she doesn't feel like a real person i don't think sorry (laughs) well uh, if you're not familiar by the way with the plot of streetcar named desire it, it concerns a uh a Southern belle named Blanche Dubois who has uh, lost uh, her family home in uh, Mississippi and is coming to live with her younger sister, Stella, in New Orleans. She's married uh, to a working class guy named Stanley Kowalski. And uh, Blanche is kind of the, the classic unwanted house guest who stays with them for months and months, apparently. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, I don't think I realized how long, uh, uh, she's supposed to stay there, but tensions kind of arise, uh, between her and, and Stanley. And yeah, I mean, it's partially the way the character is designed. I mean, she's designed to be affected and theatrical. And, uh, I mean, she's, she's mentally ill. You know, she's based on Williams's sister who was schizophrenic and was, uh, eventually lobotomized, mm. uh, who, who I guess was also the, uh, the inspiration for, uh, Laura, right? And yes. Glass Menagerie. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, she's, uh, 
she's an alcoholic, she's mentally ill, but then she also ha- has kind of like this facade of the, the old South around her of uh gentility and proper behavior and she's scandalized by having to live in this tenement building with these people who are kind of uh loud and blustery and uh uncouth and vulgar uh and so you know that's the the real heart of the play is the contrast between the personalities of stanley and Blanche. And so I think, yeah, Vivian Lee was more uh, a stage actor, classically trained. Uh, Brando's kind of representing this new, more naturalistic acting style. And I, I think there is like there's so much tension between those conflicting performances. And I think it works well for that central relationship of the play. Okay. <laughs> I don't disagree, honestly. I just, um, just watching it again, it was, it felt a little exhausting. Like it was harder to connect to her than it was to him, which is a bummer because he's so abusive. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And in reading up on the history, like, uh, what's that woman's name? The actress, Kim Hunter. Kim Hunter and the guy who plays Mitch. They all feel like in the same acting style as Brando to me. Yes. So Vivian Lee just feels, I don't know, just like she was plucked from a different era. But I don't disagree that it, it works for the story, you know. I'm just saying yeah. I'm watching it this time. Interesting to to see like what was Jessica Tandy more uh more in the Vivian Lee mode or was she more in the uh the acting studio mode? Right. Uh, I don't know. I um, in reading, breathing. <laughs> Are you trying to breathe really heavily? To like make this sound good, but it's tough when we're in different cities. And I know <laughs> last week's was a tough listen, and we had to get it fixed by wonderful Ken. So, anyways, listeners, just know that I'm doing my best trying to figure out this equipment. I might be too on top of the mic. We'll see how it goes. You're doing great. <laughs> I can tell, I can tell already it's better than last week. Uh, all all we can do is the best that we can. Until we get paid and then it'll be perfect. (laughs) (laughs) Just kidding. That's the dream, right? Somewhere around number 22, 21 on the list. I'll be like, here's the money. Here's the money. It's, we don't need Uh, to get paid. We love it. We're doing it for the love of the game. I am. I love it. It's fun. And for the love of movies and for each other. Aw. I know. It's the first time we've talked in like a week. (laughs) (laughs) That's not true. We FaceTimed last night. No, I'm kidding. Um, Yeah. But it's a better better story if we haven't talked in a week. Also, um, I'm freezing my balls off. (laughs) Is it cold up there in Portland? It's so cold and I'm in a basement. So if you hear my teeth chattering, that's what's happening. I need to buy like... I don't know. Um, what are they called? Long Johns? <laughs> <laughs> I do. I'm so uh, I'm getting some Christmas present ideas already. Yes, please. I would love some Long Johns for Christmas. Oh, my gosh. Like a union suit? What's that? <laughs> a, a union suit is like that Long Johns onesie with like uh, a flap in the back. Oh, yeah. That'd with be two great. Gi- <laughs> with two giant buttons. You want one of those? Yes, please. Yeah. It keeps you warm, and then you then you can open up to poop. Nice. Oh, so you don't have to wear underwear <laughs> underneath them. I don't think so. 
Um, yeah, I just need like layers, but I need like stuff that I can put under jeans. What kind of pants do you wear in cold weather? I'm actually wearing a pair of wool pants today that I bought. I think they're wool, but this is the only like wet wintry pant item I have. <laughs> now we've been in Portland in December before and lived through it. Like, is this worse than what's what... going on? I was just saying this. I was on the phone with my dad this morning and I was like, we've spent time in Portland during the winter. I love the winter. I'm fucking freezing. <laughs> I don't know what's happening. Are you just being a wimp? Maybe I'm just being a wimp. I'm also walking everywhere because I don't have a car yet. So like I walk everywhere and yeah. probably, and when we were here before, I guess I walked everywhere then too. I don't know. But uh, we're pretty close. Like living in the Pearl, we're pretty close to everywhere we need to be. That's true. You know, yeah. We probably didn't walk for more than 10 minutes at a time. Someone Are you just, walking longer than that? Someone just dinged me. Um, if you heard it. Uh, yeah, I guess. <laughs> Who I dinged you? <laughs> well, I walked to the grocery store. I walked to, the, to work. And then because I work at a theater, part of my uh, walkthrough duties in the morning is to turn the air conditioning on. <laughs> oh, okay. So it's always freezing in the theater. Because you got to keep them awake so that they laugh. Cold for comedy. Yeah. Uh, in Chicago, I used to wear long johns all the time, and I also would get flannel lined jeans from LL Bean. Oh, I didn't know that was a thing. You can get fleece lined jeans and flannel lined jeans. Oh my god, I'm going on the LL Bean website today. I mean, watch out, credit card. Here we go. <laughs> they're gonna look a little bulky. They're gonna look like mom jeans a little bit, you know. I'm cool with but that, but they'll keep I don't you care warm anymore. I'm almost forty. I don't care. <laughs> You're not a mom, but you'll wear mom jeans. Yeah, I'm not almost forty, you guys. <laughs> well, you're closer to forty than thirty. Okay, everyone, calm down. <laughs> Take a step back. Uh, no, it's fine. I'm fine with forty, right? So, yeah. so all of this is a way of saying that you'd rather be in sultry, sweltering New Orleans. Right. Yep. Sorry. Let's get back on track. <laughs> Go for it. Where were we? <laughs> Uh, well, talking about acting styles, actually, and talking about, uh, you know, whether Blanche is a sympathetic character or not, uh, reading about the history of different productions of the play, the first touring production, uh, Uta Hagen played Blanche, and uh, apparently Harold Clerman uh, directed that production, and in Uta Hagen's uh, autobiography, she claimed that that swung uh the sympathy more in favor of uh of blanche when the original kazan production made stanley uh more of the sympathetic character uh which is interesting because he is sympathetic character well i mean if it's uh i mean there is a feeling in the play that uh, you know, everybody knows the feeling of a, of having an unwanted house guest, mm-hmm. you know, like al- although Stanley is uh, obnoxious and uh, vulgar and then ultimately rapes uh, Blanche and is uh, abusive to his wife. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, there I mean, there is something about Blanche's character that's grating. No. Yeah. Uh, I, I agree with that. But all, yeah. But at the end, he's definitely not. A sympathetic oh character. yeah absolutely uh 
but then you know brando is kind of amusing too you know it's not not a comic play at all but there are little laughs in just the way that he plays things you know he's a very kind of playful actor some of his line readings are kind of bizarre right. uh and just the the tension of two characters that are so different kind of creates uh, a lot of like uncomfortable laughter i think yes uh what do you think of marlon brando in this movie i think he's great yeah he's very believable um very upsetting i do feel yeah i guess i i it's tough it's tough because i'd already seen it so it's harder to analyze this one like beat by beat in terms of how i was feeling in the moment like certainly she's yeah. grating and just nagging and crazy <laughs> like she's um that's not fair she's difficult as, as yes. a character you wouldn't want to be her friend, I don't think, necessarily. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, there are those moments, especially when she's talking so poorly about him and his class and status, being a Polak. Calling him a Polak. Yeah. Um, you've never, you've never called me a Polak. Never. Uh, so there are those. Moments <laughs> Only endearingly. Like, oh, she's horrible. But I. But I always know, like watching it this time, I knew that he rapes her at the end. So it's like, <laughs> I don't know. There was just not a lot of sympathy to be had. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Brando, uh, he's just, he's an interesting actor. He's an interesting figure. I mean, ultimately, he probably made a lot more bad movies than good movies. Uh, he, but I think his great performances are just so indelible in, you know, American film history. You've got this and on the waterfront and, uh, the Godfather. Um, and they, they kind of cut a, a huge swath. Uh, but a lot of times he was very disinterested, bored with acting, gave a lot of indulgent performances. Uh, I think ultimately maybe he didn't even respect the craft of acting that much, you know, uh, was probably not a great guy in his uh, per- personal life, mm-hmm. though he uh, he worked hard for a lot of uh liberal and political causes over the years. I mean, he's a, he's a complicated guy. Mm-hmm. Um, I think on the waterfront is probably his greatest performance and, uh, is a better movie than this overall. Hint, hint, uh, we'll be watching Number on the waterfront. <laughs> Number one. Hey, a lot of guesses, by the way, we asked, uh, <laughs> Craig's listeners, what you thought the the guesses for uh, number one, and uh, at different points, I will say just about every movie in the top ten was guessed really correctly. So uh, go to Twitter, you, you get and look up that thread. You, <laughs> practically every movie in the top ten, but nobody guessed number uh, n- one. From what nobody I saw. guessed number one. Nobody guessed number one. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I, I think uh, Craig's listeners have a pretty good grasp of what my uh, what my movie tastes are. Uh, interesting in reading up on Brando that he, uh, never liked being called a method actor specifically because he, uh, thought Lee Strasberg was full of shit, (laughs) uh, that his acting teacher was Stella Adler and, uh, and she had based, uh, her 
approach uh, off of Stanislavski as Lee Strasberg did. Uh, but Lee Strasberg sensed uh, or, or stressed uh, sense memory uh, a lot more and using, you know, the actor's personal life as fodder uh, for character choices uh, and emotional choices you'd make in the play. And both Brando and Adler thought that was full of shit, apparently. I agree. Uh, but it, it's interesting that Brando is pretty much synonymous with the idea of method acting. Yeah, that's I, I didn't know that he had studied with Stella Adler and, and not Lee Strasberg. That's interesting. <laughs> I think he had worked with Strasberg a bit, but they had a falling out, and then he always hated Strasberg taking credit for his success. Mm. Marilyn Monroe uh, was a so, big Strasberg student, right? She was, yeah. And I guess Brando and uh, Monroe dated uh off and on for years that seems to that feels right <laughs> feels on brand <laughs> on brando Brando. and some people say that brando had an affair with Lawrence olivier as well who was uh vivian lee's husband probably <laughs> uh you think that's likely yeah. okay well Lawrence olivier uh, was bisexual right Yes, and so is Brando. Oh. Uh, <laughs> no judgment from Carla. I hope they enjoyed it. I hope they enjoy. I hope they had a great time. Um, yeah, Vivian Lee and uh, Brando, I guess, had some tension uh, when first uh, the first couple of weeks of doing this movie, but by the end, got along great and became great friends. Aww. <laughs> that's nice I want to know like I want to I wish that there were maybe there are interviews of Vivian Lee like not um oh god the cold I'm so cold what am I saying <laughs> I wish that I had ever seen video footage of interviews of Vivian Lee around that time hmm. I wonder if there are any because I wonder I want to know how she speaks in real life <laughs> well, yeah, obviously she's British and you know her best as two Southern Bells as Scarlett O'Hara and uh, and Blanche Dubois. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, you don't have a, much of a sense of what she was like personally. Right. Here's a little bit of Gone with the Wind related trivia for Streetcar Named Desire. The sailor at the beginning of the movie that she asks uh, how to uh, how to get to Elysian Fields mm-hmm. Um he was the boy who played Bo Wilkes, Melanie's son oh. in Gone with the Wind. Oh. And uh My brain just he's, exploded. <laughs> <laughs> he's the kid actually who's a really bad actor who's like, Is my mom gonna die? <laughs> uh but apparently uh and so, you know, he was uh, uh, maybe in his late teens or early 20s uh, by the time they made Streetcar. So he had that small role. And uh, when he reminded uh, Vivian Lee of, of that fact, she invited him into uh, her trailer and uh, and hooked up. With and they had a no. <laughs> and they had a uh, a very nice conversation. And then years later, he said uh, that she was one of the nicest people he ever met. Aww. Well, that's cool. Uh, yeah. But, uh, you know, Scarlett and Blanche, uh, despite being, you know, Southern Bells, uh, who are headstrong in, in different ways, you know, really could not be more different characters, I think. No, I agree. Uh, 
I think they're they're two fantastic performances. What was uh, the uh, difference the, in years between Gone with the Wind and this one? Twelve years, thirty nine and fifty one. Yeah, and I think we talked about this in Gone with the Wind of like she really did not have much of a movie career. I mean, she's done these two huge movies. She won the Oscar for both of them, uh, but maybe made only about a dozen other Hollywood movies in in her career. She mostly acted on stage and then, you know, she struggled with mental illness and alcoholism just like uh Blanche did. Uh Yeah, I mean, I I think it's she's very unsettling. Uh in this role, you know, I, I think for a movie in 1951, you know, it, it psychologically is still very disturbing, uh, to this day. Like it doesn't feel, I mean, I, I know it feels old timey in a, in a certain way, but it, it doesn't, you know, it still feels, uh, like it has, uh, has an emotional impact on me. And, you know, the subject matter, certainly for the play and, uh, for the movie as well was kind of stuff that was unheard of at the time. I, I don't think we can, uh, understand like the degree to which this revolutionized theater, um, just that it, that depicts spousal abuse and rape and there's, you know, references to promiscuity and homosexuality and, and everything, uh, these are things that were just not talked about in movies at the time, maybe in heavily coded language, but it was really tough, uh, to get that stuff past the, uh, past the censors for the movie. And some changes were made for the movie from the play. Uh, in the play, it's much more overt that Blanche's dead husband, uh, was gay. It's only kind of hinted at yeah, in the, I, the movie. I picked up on that this time watching the movie. Um, which is like, I mean, maybe I was looking for it because it's Tennessee Williams. Yeah. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Thank you. Thank you for that input. <laughs> and then the the other huge uh, difference is that in the play, Stella stays with Stanley and uh, the Kazan and Williams really lobbied uh, to make sure that the, the rape scene was included in the movie, uh, because the studio did not want it included. Uh, but the trade off was, uh, if Stanley does rape Blanche, that, uh, Stella would have to leave him at the end of the movie, which is not what happens in the play. You know what? I didn't watch like the last 15 minutes of the movie <laughs> and I didn't realize she left him in the movie. I didn't remember that. I mean, it's it's not overt. She says to him, don't you touch me. Don't you ever touch me uh, ever again. And at the end of the play, she kind of goes up to Eunice's apartment uh, upstairs. So the implication is going to be that she leaves him. Uh, but that is the note that it kind of goes out on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then Blanche, I think, is also, you know, though she's a female character, I, I think she is kind of a stand in for a, a gay male character, uh, who, you know, is, is trying to, to live their life, but is kind of being brought down by, uh, you know, an exaggerated, uh, sense of masculinity, uh, around them. So I, I, I think that's another read of the play is that Blanche is a stand in for Williams himself, as well as a representation of his sister. Fascinating. I'm serious. 
Is it fascinating? It is, it okay. Is. Thank um, you. I think I just. I think everybody should read or see, I, I guess, a Tennessee Williams play. But then I think you get to a certain point, especially if you've done theater, you're an actor or even a writer, I guess, where you're like, okay, I get it. <laughs> well, it's, it's the easiest thing to paradise in the world because it's so over the top and theatrical. Like the language is flowery. Everything is Southern, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, the, the same themes come up time and time again in his right. plays. I mean, we have, we have friends who, about. yeah, the same thematically, thematically his, his most famous plays, I should say, aren't really that different from each other. The specifics are yeah. all different. I think cat on a hat, a hat. Mm, nope. Cat, cat, the cat, on, the cat in the hat, the cat is his best play. <laughs> <laughs> it's by far very simple favorite. direct language it always rhymes you know it's kids can watch pretty it, great what's going on i mean it's great uh cat yes. on a hot tin roof i think is my favorite i know is my i don't think i know is my favorite tennessee williams play but i should see that movie again i haven't seen that one in a long time either that's paul newman and elizabeth taylor mm-hmm. and big yeah daddy. and big daddy played by burl ives uh yeah, I remember thinking the movie was pretty good, but not at the level of uh, of this movie. Uh, but yeah, I, I think Streetcar, uh, Canada Hot Tin Roof, and Glass Menagerie are kind of the three big ones, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have friends who do an improvised uh, Tennessee Williams show. Uh, they're called uh, The Kind Strangers, right? Yeah, so and, – and there was also a uh, – improvised Tennessee Williams when I first moved to Chicago called cast on a hot tin roof. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's, you know, it's fun for actors, you know, to dress up in ridiculous costumes and do uh, over the top Southern accents. And it, it really, you know, is to the point where you can just plug in different audience suggestions uh, and, you know, cause it, there is a formulaic nature uh, to the plays that he did. So, yeah, yeah, I guess it is, you know, in 2017, hard to look at the original work and not kind of see how it seeped into pop culture uh, as a whole and to know the parodies of it better than the work itself in a way, you know, that better than I did. (laughs) That's what I meant to say, but you did a better job. That's why this is called Craigslist. (laughs) And now we're going to do a little segment that we like to call Carla's Quotes. She's feeling her oats and Craig's taking notes. Whatever they are, it's Carla's Quotes. Now, you may uh, realize, of course, that, you know, I watched the movie in L.A. Uh, Carla watched the movie in Portland. So these have not watched a Craigslist movie together, correct? Is it? I think it is. There were a couple couple instances where we finished a movie at different times where I didn't have at least half of it together. I believe you're right. Yeah. Yeah. Um so we didn't watch any of yeah, this movie so, together. We couldn't. It was we couldn't do we it, couldn't. you guys, okay? <laughs> Carla took the DVD, I rented it on iTunes. So yeah, the you may notice then that there is not a purity to these Carla's quotes. These are not things that I heard Carla say out loud on the couch next to me while watching the movie. Uh, so you, you know, if you guys want to skip ahead, 
That's fine. But he, I texted that he, to you. Carla texted me. And then I stopped after thoughts. a while because I was like, this feels weird. <laughs> but I tried. Uh, you got me uh, about 10 good quotes on the movie. Like the first um, half hour of the movie. And then I was like, oh, it's taking me longer to text. And now I'm wor- worried about what I said. It just it kind of like got in the way of the spontaneity of the whole event. So, <laughs> uh, now if you if you think that Carla has no filter while she's just sitting there watching the movie with me, I will say she only has a slight filter on text. So it like it's not it's not a hundred percent, but it's probably like it's this is ninety percent of like Carla's pure thoughts while watching the movie uh so uh the very beginning of the movie we i i think they did do a little bit of location shooting in los angeles at los angeles in new orleans right i i think those early scenes but i don't know i think the the house itself their apartment is definitely a set that was on a soundstage in los angeles but i think there are a couple of uh, location shots in New Orleans up top. But anyway, we see, uh, Blanche asking a sailor, uh, how to get to their apartment building. She says, they, they told me to take a streetcar named Desire and then transfer to one called Cemeteries and then, uh, get off at Elysian Fields. Uh, and Carla texted me, wow, they don't mess around with getting the titular line out there, do they? <laughs> Second line of a film is a record or something, I bet. I bet it is. Did you look at Yeah, because like this, I don't know if there's any sort of statistics <laughs> online for how early the titular line is in a play. It would be a movie where the first line that is spoken is the title. Can anyone, Craig's listeners, do you know of a movie where the first line of the movie is the title of the movie? Uh, that would be amazing if that's the case. The second uh, line I, of this movie, right? Is Streetcar. The, she says Streetcar. Yeah, because the sailor's like, can I help you, ma'am, or something, mm-hmm. right? Uh, they told me to take a streetcar named Desire. <laughs> uh, that's your favorite uh, Upright Citizens Brigade sketch, it right? Is. Titular line. And Ask Penny <laughs> is also my favorite. I have two favorites. <laughs> uh, we used to, my friend Christian and I in college, uh, used to make fun of plays that say the titular line. Mm-hmm. Uh, I wonder if this is in the play or if this was just a movie thing they did. To remind I'm pretty sure it's in, it's in the play. Oh, no. <laughs> Why don't we see it again, <laughs> Ethel? <laughs> they told me to take a streetcar named... Oh, okay, I got it. <laughs> <laughs> to remind people of what they're seeing. <laughs> I don't know what things were like in the 50s. I wasn't alive. Maybe people were distracted. Uh, but again, in college, uh, in the college theater department, there were a lot of bad one act plays that you had to go see that your friends were in. And it felt like in all of these bad one acts that, that people were always saying the titular line. There was a clay, a, a clay, uh, there was a play called Spit and Image, uh, in which it was a, uh, a, like a Vietnam vet and the younger brother or maybe the son of his buddy who died in the war and he's meeting up with him and he keeps saying, you look just like him. Spit an image. <laughs> <laughs> and me and Christian would always look at each other and mime taking a drink. Like we had to take a drink whenever, uh, Funny. 
they say that they say the titular line and then we would try to rewrite uh titular lines for famous movies uh this time the empire strikes back <laughs> that's a good bit uh yeah i mean when you think about it we're raiders of the lost ark <laughs> you know um so yeah, I I felt like when that UCB sketch premiered that they had stole my thunder a little bit of like why didn't I think of that? Um mm-hmm. uh, but good job UCB. Uh <laughs> Ilya Kazan definitely more of a actor's director than like a visual stylist. Uh though I think the cinematography is very good in this movie and there's a lot of done of like obscuring Blanche in different lights you know there there's a whole thing of like she doesn't want to be seen mm-hmm. in the light uh so she's often in shadows and there's a really cool shot of her kind of emerging from a puff of steam from a train is the first thing that we see of her in the movie um yeah, you know, a Desire, I guess, Desire Street is or was a real street in New Orleans. And so there was a streetcar line that ran down it. And so I think Tennessee Williams was just amused by that, that there could be a streetcar named Desire, you know. And so I think the, you know, the idea is that it's allegorical, right? That, you know, she's kind of living this promiscuous life and heading straight to the grave when she says, I'm uh, taking a streetcar named Desire and then getting off on one called Cemeteries. Mm-hmm. And then Elysian Fields is supposed to be the afterlife. And that's the uh, the name of their building. Whoa, that's a lot. <laughs> Carla says, this place looks like the town on the Pirates of the Caribbean ride. <laughs> it does. Well, I think... Isn't it? Are you supposed to leave from New Orleans, right? Oh, in Pirates yeah, of the Caribbean, duh, of course. Because because you're in New of Orleans course. Square, and you kind of go through the bio and everything, you know. Yeah. Um. The uh, <laughs> the whole play takes place uh, at the one set of the uh, the apartment building. The movie opens it up slightly. They, they do go to a bowling alley, uh, up top. Yeah. And that's where we kind of first see Stanley. Uh, I like the line where, uh, Blanche is asking Stella to point him out and she's like, there he is over there. The one that's making all the rhubarb. Yes. That's so weird. <laughs> he's like, he's, I never, he's like starting a fight and punching guys and they're all holding him back. He's like, and she's like, isn't he great? Isn't he just the best? <laughs> He's a man's man. <laughs> uh, but Carla said, poor Stella. She's watching her husband bowl, but not allowed to bowl herself. <laughs> oh, well, it's because when Blanche was like, she asked a neighbor about her, where her sister was. And, and her neighbor literally said, oh, Stella's watching, uh, Stanley bowl. <laughs> She's watching her husband bowl. Yeah. (laughs) Not like, oh, Stanley and Stella went bowling together. (laughs) So sad. Is that your nightmare is having to go and watch me bowl somewhere? I would hate it. It's just the kind of thing that Pollocks do. We love to bowl. You do like to bowl. I like to bowl with you. I like. We have a good time when we go bowling. You always. But yeah, I wouldn't. I would never join an all men's bowling league and get into fights with guys and make you watch me. I'd be fine with you joining an all men's bowling league if you wanted to. Really? I wouldn't okay. watch it probably. 
probably. <laughs> okay. Unless it was important to you. Oh my god, I'm Stella. I'm Stella. <laughs> Carla! <laughs> uh I just love some of like Blanche's flowery flowery language, mm-hmm. you know, bless you for that lovely inspiration when she offers her a drink. <laughs> Daylight never exposed so total a ruin. <laughs> um Oh, I think this was also off of the uh, asking the neighbor. You said our neighbors never know where we are. <laughs> <laughs> that is kind of an old timey thing of like where you know everyone on your block of like where are they? Oh yeah, they're down at the store. Yeah. You know. Yeah, if they were to change the time period, they would have. She would have just texted her sister. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Cell phones change everything. Uh, this you must be commenting on Blanche Dubois here. You say she looks like a creepy porcelain doll. Yeah, she does. She looks like one of those dolls in a horror movie. <laughs> <laughs> well, she's wearing, you know, like chiffon dresses, mm-hmm. right? And uh yeah, you know, she's got crazy too much makeup on and everything. Yeah, Vivian Lee, I think, was only like thirty six at the time. I think That's Blanche crazy. is Blanche is probably supposed to be a little older than that i don't know because uh, stella was supposed to just be in her 20s right yeah i mean i guess like 36 was an old maid you know mm-hmm. back then right um yeah i also like that line of stella's oh stanley's polish you know <laughs> like what does that mean <laughs> i don't know i didn't I, I didn't understand that stuff and how he got so offended about the polish stuff yeah People from Poland are Poles, not Polacks. Mm-hmm. That was a good Marlon Brando. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you, Carla. Thank you very much. <laughs> In the state of Louisiana, we have which is known as the Napoleonic Code. That belongs to the wife, belongs to the husband, and vice versa. Oh, my God. He seems right, so well- crazy in that scene. <laughs> he keeps saying Napoleonic Code. Yeah, so I love it. We should know what that is. It's so weird. <laughs> But I guess that's well, he explains in, he explains exactly what well, it is. Oh yeah, I know, but he repeats it again and again, like we should care about yeah. what it is. I guess. <clears throat> All right, well, I'll wait till she comes out, then I'm, I'll inquire if she's familiar with Napoleonic Code, which I guess shows his dominance over Stella and his obsession with being right. Yeah, and also the idea that the husband owns everything that right. the wife does. So if they had this, you know, mansion, this family mansion that they lost, that that affects his finances right. somehow, he, you know. He, he really says it like three or four times. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, it's crazy though that Brando was the one, the only one who didn't win the Oscar out of the the four actors. Uh, though I guess it was time for Bogart, uh, and maybe people kind of knew that Bogart was was in poor health at that point, and he had never won. He won for the African Queen. Uh, the African Queen, by the way, one of those Hollywood classics that I think is terrible. <laughs> I tried to watch it a couple times over the years, and I can't get into it. Yeah, like that is a relationship I just do not buy. And it's it's kind of a similar dynamic, right? Of like uh Catherine Hepburn and Bogart in in that movie and like Stella or Stanley and uh Blanche in in this movie of kind of like a, a coarse guy with a more refined woman. Uh so that's an interesting contrast. Um 
You said that trunk is the same kind of trunk our TV is sitting on. Yeah. Our TV is sitting yeah, on. So our TV. She has a steamer trunk, right? A steamer trunk from the '30s that I bought years ago, and Vivian Lee has a very similar trunk in the movie. We never, <clears> we never open it because we use it to <laughs> to put our, put our TV on. on. But yeah. when I lived in my studio, I used it as drawers. Because you open it up and it's like got a little area to hang your clothes and you can open different drawers and put your undies in them. <laughs> yeah. I wish the airport these days were just people lugging around oh st- gigantic steamer it's trunks. It's so crazy. Like it just I've, – I've thought that several times watching some of these older films with and they travel and have these huge trunks. Like what? <laughs> what? <laughs> that doesn't make any sense. <laughs> Well, there probably were a lot more porters and people to take your bags and stuff like that, right. uh, which is, which is kind of a classist thing, right? You know, mm, yeah. Uh, that's probably gone away for a good reason. Um, but yeah, luggage luggage has evolved for the better. Mm-hmm. I would say. I think people don't talk about that enough. <laughs> Of how much better luggage is now. She does do a really good job, though, when she comes in and she's like going through it, to pull out her papers and her jewelry and her dresses and her minks and everything, and then she just kind yeah. of sets it up like that's her closet. And you're like, oh yeah, yes, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> uh I'm gonna get you another steamer trunk for Christmas. <laughs> full of long johns. Full of long johns. Move, I'm selling that steamer trunk. I don't want to carry it anywhere else. <laughs> also, I broke the lock on it, so I. I can't get it open. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's a problem. That is a problem. Uh, Carla said lots of walking around in underwear. I guess they're letting us know it's hot. Yeah. The ladies are in their slips a lot in this movie. That's New Orleans, man. Mm-hmm. That's that's how it works. Uh, this is probably my favorite Carla's quote or Carla's text. I think I would like some goats. This has nothing to do with the movie. Just a thought I'm obsessing over. <laughs> God, I texted that. It's because I went on a walk Sunday morning with Frankie, our dog, and there's a neighbor a street over who has goats in their front yard. You've seen them before. <laughs> and they're so sweet. If you follow Carla on Instagram, you can see that goat interacting with Frankie. And then also um, the piano player at the theater lives um, – like he lives further out. It's not like a, like a working farm, but he lives on a farm. He lives on a lot of land <laughs> surrounded by farms. And there's a goat just living on his porch. It just showed up one day and he called animal control and they're like, we don't, we don't do goats. <laughs> we, we don't do goats. And then he called all of his neighbors and they're like, nope, we're not missing a goat. <laughs> so like, what the hell am I supposed to do with this goat? So now he has to take care of this yeah, goat? he's just taking care of it and letting it live on his porch until he figures out what to do. And he said the goat's just like crapping all over his porch. Oh no! <laughs> but he, you know, is being nice and feeding it and stuff, and it's oh. And I was like, I want to, I'll take that goat, but I can't. Portland man, that's Portland in a nutshell. My neighbors, my direct neighbors, have chickens. Do you want chickens as well? I don't know. I think they're. I don't know. Goats are cute. Chickens are <laughs> edible. Okay, um, we have two dogs and a cat. We're not getting a okay. goat. Not right now. <laughs> All right. Well, we'll see. 
you know, I, I didn't have any Carlos quotes in the room with me, but I did watch the first hour with my mother. So I do have a Martha's mention. Oh, great. Uh, <laughs> uh, my mother Martha said uh, of Brando, he is captivating. I mean, don't you think? <laughs> <laughs> don't you think? It's like rain. <laughs> um, <laughs> on your wedding day. <laughs> Uh, I think so too. He's very handsome. He's very charismatic. I think is the word I'm looking for. And in that famous scene where he's yelling Stella, like they must have deliberately ripped his shirt to make him look like a caveman, right? I think so. Like he's just supposed to look as like primitive as, as possible. But, uh, you know, just seeing like a leading man with his shirt off and then like the way he picks her up and she's like stroking his bare back of like, that's about as explicit as you could get Mm -hmm. back then in 1951. Uh, and I told my mother the same thing about the Oscars and she was like, who beat him for best actor? Like she was offended (laughs) that he didn't win. Uh, some other favorite uh, lines. This is more of a line reading of like, I once dated a woman said I was the glamorous type. She said, I'm the glamorous type. I said, so what? <laughs> Apparently a thing that Brando would do uh, when shooting is like they would call action, not just on this movie, but on several movies uh, or probably all the movies in his career. I mean, I think we also know the things of like Brando just like reading his lines like that are taped to the back of a coffee cup right. or whatever. So like he didn't bother learning his lines because like uh people don't know what they're gonna say in real life, right? <laughs> you know? Uh I think that's more of like the lazy uh fat late later year Brando. But I think like even then at this point in his career, when they would call action, like he would start talking to the cameraman about what he did that weekend or whatever. And then when he felt like he was relaxed and naturalistic enough, then he would do the dialogue uh of the scene. Weird. Um Sounds high <laughs> it is weird, but uh but again of like the the naturalism of it is is so revolutionary at the time. Um here's another great Blanche line. I can't stand a naked light bulb more than I could a rude remark or a vulgar action. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh Carla said there's no way this lady is an English teacher. Uh, yeah. I mean, it's just hard to imagine her as any kind of teacher. <laughs> well, I think it, it does like kind of track with her love of language and poetry and metaphor and everything. And yeah, that's true. Okay, I think you the idea. Tennessee Williams wins that one. You win. But I, I think it also tracks with the idea of like of something you could teach it's more like artistic and literary and refined you know uh to to talk about poetry than math you know uh i also like the specificity of like get get me a lemon coke with chipped ice yes. is what she, is what she asks for so funny <clears throat> i've never had a lemon coke uh well, back then, that probably was just like Coke with like a splash of lemonade, right? You know, or just a lemon I, in it. Or a Coke with a lemon in it. Maybe that's all that is. Maybe. <laughs> you said an impressive amount of yelling in this film. Mm-hmm. I had to keep adjusting the volume because I was in my room 
<laughs> I didn't want to bug anyone. Uh huh. And then there's real quiet moments too, so I had to go up and down. And Brando was very mumbly too, so you gotta turn up the volume to understand everything that he's saying, and then he yells. I think I might be mumbly. A lot of people are always like, what? Huh? What? <laughs> and then I'll have to repeat what I just said because I mumbled. You're like a classic method actor, Carla. You're <laughs> you're just raw. Thank you very much. You're raw and pure. Yeah, you are kind of mumbly. Am I? You can be mumbly. I think for me sometimes you talk to yourself a lot and then you say something that's meant for me and I can't tell the difference sometimes. That's not mumbly. <laughs> that's just confusion. Yeah, that's just insanity. <laughs> <laughs> and you said, yeah, it's never a good idea to talk shit about somebody else while you're in their home. Oh, yeah, because she's like really talking poorly about Stanley. That was one part where I thought, ick, she should not be talking about him like this. And then he's he's in the other room. Yeah, right outside the door and can hear everything she's saying. Yeah. <laughs> uh. That's about it for Carla's quotes. Anything else you'd like to add? Um, nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want realism. I want magic. <laughs> that's kind. Of, that's kind of the key, uh, Blanche line. So the idea is, is that her husband was gay and he killed himself because he was gay, right? She caught him. This is in the play. She catches him with an older man. And then uh, starts to uh, abuse him for being soft. And then he kills himself. Mm. So in the movie, I, the only reference is that he would cry in his room alone at night, right? <laughs> yes. Oh. That that he was artistic and wrote poetry. Right. And would cry alone yeah. in his room. And then every audience member in 1951 is like, oh, he's gay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it went over people's heads back then, too. Mm. Uh, what do you think of Carl Malden as Mitch? Oh, he's wonderful until he's mean. I mean, he's still really good, but he really, yeah. he really loses his mind on her. Well, yeah, that character really turns on her. Yeah. Uh, because he's kind of, you know, he's kind of this sweet guy. He's different than the other guys at the poker game. Mm -hmm. You know, he's got more of a sensitive soul. He has a sick mother at home, which I think is supposed to, to mean that he's a nicer guy. Mm -hmm. Uh, and that he's kind of a mama's boy. And so, yeah, they have this courtship that's like very prim and proper, you know, uh, and that she won't allow him to get too far. But then he finds out about her promiscuous past that, uh, you know, she's seduced uh, a younger man back in Oriole, which is her hometown. And then she kind of set up shop at this like residence motel where, uh, it sounded like I don't know if she was actually prostituting herself or just like taking in uh, a lot of men. Uh, and then, yeah, I mean, he tries to get physical with her as well. And she kind of screams at him. And, uh, yeah, he really turns on her. And that's an interesting scene for Vivian Lee, too, because – uh, in that scene, she kind of drops the affectations of Blanche and we kind of get a more of a sense of who she really is. Mm. Uh, when she's like, no, it wasn't the flamingo. It was the tarantula, the tarantula arms. That's where I took my victims. 
uh, and we kind of see a, uh, a darker side of her. Uh, yeah, I think that scene is very disturbing. Uh, and then there's a whole thing of like, she, he hasn't really seen her in the light. So he kind of shines a light on her face and he's like, I don't mind that you're older than I thought you were. I just mind that you lied to me. And then those other uh, famous scenes of the uh, the the paper boy who comes in collecting, oh yeah, right, mm-hmm. and then Blanche kind of lures him in uh, for a kiss, yeah, and then literally like sends him out the door as Mitch is like running in for their date. So gross. <laughs> I mean, she doesn't deserve anything that happens to her by any means, but she's not a very likable character either. I don't think. Yeah. Uh. And then there's the other famous uh, Flores para los Muertos scene, what? which is a uh, a Spanish speaking woman selling flowers mm-hmm. outside. Did you get to that part? I think so. Flores, Flores para los Muertos, Flores, Flores para los Muertos, and then you're like she gets right up in Blanche's face. She's like flowers, flowers for the dead. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, which is a scene that's uh, held over from the play. Of course, it feels a little over the top and and weird, but uh, but I enjoy it. Uh, well, I I still think this is a very powerful movie. I think the acting in it is fantastic, and I think it's it's just a very important uh, dramatic. Uh, play in American history and uh, an important film as well. Uh, I think 46 is probably a little high on Craigslist. I'm going to move it down into the 70s Ooh. between between Raging Bull and Wings of Desire. Wow. What, uh, what kind of letter grade do you want to give it, Carla? Raging Bull was that far? That long ago? Uh... Well, I reassessed Raging oh, Bull. Right now I have Ra- I have Raging Bull at number 72, Streetcar at 73, and Wings of Desire at 74. Okay, but we did Raging Bull more recently than that, right? We did. Okay. Yeah. Um, so what was your question? <laughs> I'm just confused. <laughs> Letter I grade. I got confused. Letter grade, Carla. Letter grade B. B. Mm-hmm. What does that stand for? Uh, B stands for Blanche Dubois. <laughs> Okay, a little on the nose, but I'll <laughs> allow it. Okay. Um, yeah, you wanna... it's, it's it's it is a good movie. It's very upsetting. Um, it's interesting. Uh, it does keep your attention. But I'm just this is more this is less about the quality of the film and just more of what I feel like watching. And I don't know that I ever need to watch any more Tennessee Williams. <laughs> sure. So, um. Yeah, but I'm not encouraging you to move it if you, you know, that's something you came to on your own. Absolutely. It's still on the list. Still on the list is good. Mm-hmm. There's other movies that uh, are not going to stay on the list. Interesting. <laughs> and we know what those are. I don't remember. It's okay. <laughs> you don't need to tell me. We'll do a whole episode at the end where you can tell us your new list. 
By the way, uh, Alex North was the composer for this movie, uh, and it's kind of a jazz-inflected score and one of the first uses of jazz in a uh, Hollywood movie. And this score was named the number 19 film score of all time by the American Film Institute, which means that our friend uh, Jonathan Dinerstein will be covering it soon on his podcast, Settling the Score. Awesome. You guys should uh, listen to that they're... podcast. It's so interesting. Did you listen to one? Which which one? one? Uh, yeah. What was that? Was it was uh, Spartacus or oh no, it was How the West Was Won, right? Yeah. Uh, it's really well done. It's John and his friend uh, Andy, and they're both composers, and they kind of. Uh, I learned a lot about how film music works uh, in listening to that, and so I think if I have the timing right, I think the streetcar episode is probably coming out next week, right after ours. So that's a weird uh, little what? coincidence, but. But uh, settling the score, you can find it on iTunes. Uh, I'd be interested in what they think about uh, Alex North's score for this movie. Remember when Jonathan was you- on our podcast for Psycho, and we drove all the way over to his house without the equipment. <laughs> yeah, that was a low moment in the history of this podcast. Did we come back another day, or did you go home and get it? I can't remember. <laughs> we came back the next day to record it. Yeah. And he doesn't live nearby. I mean, it's not far. It was like a half hour yeah, at least. Because it was really bad traffic. <laughs> yeah. But we had really good conversations uh, in the car ride over. And then they made us cookies or something. I can't remember. But Becky baked something. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, uh, thanks for uh, forgiving me for that. I'm glad uh, <laughs> that you've forgotten about Any it. Old time. <laughs> Uh, you want to do a little khaki theater? Uh, well, it feels like Stanley and Blanche have been done in paradise so many times that I don't know if we can bring anything new to that. But, uh, what about the scene with Blanche and the young collector? Okay. Wait, That's what the character is called, by the way. I want you to do Marlon. You want me to do Marlon? Yeah. Okay. What do you think? Sure. Okay. Uh, well, why don't, why don't we do, uh, Marlon and rather than do Stanley and Blanche, why don't we do Marlon and Vivian? Okay. Oh, but she's So this British. is, <laughs> you don't want to do a British let's accent? Let's do Vivian. No, let's do Blanche and Stanley. Okay. Together. Oh, that's great. Okay. Well, Ma, could you maybe pick up that gigantic ball for me, sir? You know, bowling is more of a thing for for men. You know, it's not a thing the ladies do. We don't have a ladies' league around here. You know, it's a heavy ball. It's a 12-pound ball. You want me to pick it up for you? Well, I mean, I am not one to question the uh, authority of a a fine, young, strapping man like you, but I'm just saying my little muscles are little. Little muscles are so weak. Okay, all right, all right, Blanche. I'll pick up the ball for you, but you still got to lift it in order to throw it at those pins down there. Thank you, Mr. Polish Man. Okay, I'll, I'll allow that. Just don't call me a Polak anymore. That's never. offensive. I would never do such a thing. <laughs> oh, okay. Oops, I dropped it. Okay, that's a gutter ball in the other lane. You didn't even get it in your lane. Oh, I think you also had a. How many points f- did I get for that one? You got no points for a gutter ball, Blanche. It's a zero. It's a zero. You still got a chance to pick up a spare, though. Oh, I could spare something. I could spare a little feelings. 
Okay, I'm not talking about a metaphorical spare. I'm saying when you knock down all those pins, then you you get staring all over the place today. I can barely all right, hold them in. Enough with the poetry and metaphor, right? Oh my goodness, I'm sorry. Please, uh, just talk, talk normal, okay? Talk plain. Okay, We're fine. A bowling this is alley. my real voice. How do you like it now? <laughs> all right, go back to what you were doing before, because that's that's disturbing. I told you. Okay, you would just trust me the first time around. Okay, now you're gonna roll, roll the ball down. Shut up! Stop telling you what to do. <laughs> you sound like a. Twelve-year-old boy. Oh, wouldn't you like that? I feel like a lemon coke. Hey, Stella, let me a coke. Let me a lemon coke. Stella, Stella. <laughs> and scene. And scene. And scene. <laughs> that was fun. Take a bow. Take a deep bow. I did. And I bumped my nose on the ground. <laughs> well, Carla, thank you uh, for watching the movie separately, watching most of the movie. Uh, thank you for recording separately. This will be the last one for a while that we'll have to do over the phone. Yay! Because I'm about to go to Portland for the rest of the year. Yay! And, and we're going to try to bank as many podcasts as possible with us in the same room together, watching the movie and then recording the uh, the podcast. I'm excited to see you. And I'm excited to see you. Good. And <laughs> the feeling is mutual. Uh, so next week we have one that we already recorded while you were visiting in town a couple weeks ago. Yep. And uh, – this is number 45 on Craigslist, and this is the best picture winner of 1965, and it also was adapted from a Broadway show, this time a musical, mm. and it stars Julie Andrews and Christopher Plummer, and it's about the Von Trapp family singers, and it's a musical called The Sound of Music. Yay! It's a beloved family classic. You're going to walk out of that podcast humming the tunes. And and we have a guest joining us for that podcast. I don't remember. Just kidding. I remember. It's uh, Maria Blasucci. I used to do a podcast with her called Trading Movies. She's also my castmate from Drunk History. And uh, Maria, uh, who is the namesake of the title character in Sound of Music, came in and talked with us about Sound of Music and Julie Andrews and Rodgers and Hammerstein and musicals. And it was a lot of fun. So uh, please tune in for next week. Uh, can't wait for Craig's listeners to hear the sound of music. Carly, you got anything else? Um, uh. Uh, everyone have a great week. Stay safe out there and do stuff that you love to do. Thank you, Carla. And, uh, now I got to take a, uh, a streetcar named Desire <laughs> off of the list. No, I got to, uh, uh, I got to go. Me too. Bye. Okay. Bye. The list is an absolute good. The list is life. <laughs>